Welcome to Salem First Assembly Podcast. May this week's message by Pastor Brian D. Corkin be a blessing to your life in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's Word, strengthen your faith, and equip you to become all that God has created you to be. Good morning. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm ready. It's so good to see you all. Um, let me, um, first of all, as you know, we've been in First Peter, and we're in part eight. I want to talk to you about victorious hope in the blood of Jesus Christ. Victory. What, what is your classification of victory? You know, if you play sports, you win, right? You know, when they score a goal, and they never stop saying, goal. That's when in soccer, it goes on. They're celebrating. See? And, and so it, they score a goal and it's vic- victorious. Or they bring out the Stanley Cup or in, in hockey. Or a couple times I was watching some sports and the guy goes to hand the trophy and the trophy breaks. It's hilarious. Something that they, they long for and then they break the trophy. Victory in Jesus Christ only happens by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, this portion in... Uh, 1 Peter, I should say 1 Peter, is really a book that helps us when it's really a book of struggles. It's really a book of reminding ourselves what Jesus Christ has done for us. We live in a very world that's changing constantly. How many would identify how fast the world's changing? Yeah, changing fast. Everything that's taken place, will take place, has been told to us where we're going. Unless revival comes in, but even if revival comes in, there has been so many revivals over the process of time, whether they be biblical revivals or revivals in our own time. And yet what happens after revivals? People forget what God has done and they go right back to what they used to do. So we can see things are changing. In the process, there's an enemy called Satan. And Satan wants to kill steal and destroy your joy he wants to steal kill and enjoy your hope he wants to steal kill and destroy your life and if you allow him he will because he will rent out the space between your ears does anybody know what they call that your brain that's right your brain because where your brain goes the rest of your life goes the way you think the way you approach things It's just all that. And so I ran across an old illustration that I want to share with you. But it's an illustration that's really true. The devil one day was having a yard sale. And he had all his tools marked with different prices. There was hatred and jealousy, deceit, greed, lust, lying, temptation, and pride. And they were all very expensive to buy. But over to the side of the yard on display with a tool more obvious and yet really worn than any of the other tools that the devil had. It was also the most costly. The tool was labeled discouragement. Discouragement. When questioned, the devil said, it is my most youthful tool that I have. When I can't bring down my victims with any of the other tools that you see here. I use discouragement because so few people realize that too belongs to me. 
Satan is never happier than when he sees people given in and given up in despair and hopelessness. Where we look at what can't happen or what the situation is because we become discouraged and then we think God can't, but yet we believe we have a can-do God. Can everybody relate to that? Can God do anything? Yes, he can. But he's not doing nothing in my house. He's not doing nothing at my, in my camp. You see, if you have ever felt like the whole world is caving in around you and there is absolutely no hope, your troubles seem to mount up on every end. I have some good news, but the news is only good if you apply it. The enemy of your soul wants to discourage you and take you out and keep your mind focusing on the things that will drain you. But the spirit of the living God wants to empower you with power so that you know that even if you're in a mess, someone say, I'm in a mess, my God will still bless. Because see, this is exactly the message that the Spirit of God is saying to people who are under persecution. And listen, we can talk about it and you can say, yeah, 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 I know. But when you're under persecution and you feel the pressure of the heaviness of people not liking you and the heaviness of people making life miserable for you and the heaviness of people bringing harm and hurt to you and your family, you now feel a whole different way. Amen? Because now you're feeling the pressure. It's like uh, people say to me, um, Arizona is a nice place to live and there's no humidity. And it's right. I've been in Arizona. There's no humidity. But it's also like living in an oven. I'll tell you, when you open that oven, man, you get a blast of that air. It's hot. No matter how you look at it, it's hot. You see, the reality is that when it's hot in the kitchen, you have to recognize something. There's a place hotter. <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Let me tell you something. When you get discouraged, when you're out, you do not feel victorious. You do not feel like you're on top of things. But here's the question. What are you doing about it? So I want you to say that. You know. what am I, say this. What am I doing about it? Are you applying God's word or are you just knowing God's word? Are you accepting God's word or are you acting upon those words you accept? This is what makes all the difference in the world. There is victory in the blood of Jesus Christ. Someone say victory. Now, we live in a world today that they want nothing to do with this victory. Matter of fact, they want nothing to do with this God. Matter of fact, God is not important. But the day they die, the day they die, they're going to see how important God really is. Because your life is but a vapor. It's but a gas. It's here today and it truly gone tomorrow. We see how fast time goes. Can you believe it? We're in July of 2021. Can you believe how fast this year has gone? Uh, it has gone so fast for me. I can't believe it. Time flies by. So last week, we had a message <laughs> from 1 Peter chapter 3. 13 to 16, and we talked about the therefore, how it condenses things of what was previously said that we should pay attention. And we learned last week that there is a direction for our living, that we are to prepare our minds for action, we need to be self-controlled, we need to set our hope fully on the grace 
that has been given to us in Jesus Christ. Set the mind, set the path, reap the results. Then also it says, as obedient children, meaning this, you're obedient. (laughs) You can't say as obedient children if the people are not obedient. So he addresses them like they are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, be holy as he is holy. And so we looked at that. And so now we're going to build on that today as we look here in verse. It's not going. Could you click, help me out? In verse 17, let's look what to 21. Since you are called on the Father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty ways of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But this is, this is really, this is really in, uh, important for us to understand. This aspect of but. But with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and your hope is in God. This is a powerful portion of Scripture because... What this is saying and goes so along with communion today, it, goes, it shows us that we were victoriously bought back. God so loved you. You know, I have been with so many individuals at time, young ladies, even young men, who do not have a very good self-worth to themselves. I have been with older individuals in their 80s, still not having a good healthy spiritual self-worth in themselves I, I want you to understand the importance of this because what most people don't realize is that we need to understand who we are in God true story there was a man named Ludwig Ludwig he was a missionary and he traveled to southern Southeast Asia and he came to a tribe Listen to what happened. The village chief welcomed Ludwig and said, you have two years. Listen to what the chief said of the tribe. You have two years to learn our custom and to convince us you have a message worth hearing. After two years, the tribal leader asked the missionary how Christianity differs from the moral rules and traditions the tribe already has. The chief said this. We already know what to do is right, the chief explained. We know we should not steal. We know we shouldn't take our neighbor's wife. We know we should not tell lies. The missionary replied, that's true. But my God supplies the power needed to keep those laws. This startled the chief. He said, can you really teach my people to live better? The missionary said, no. I can't. But if they receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, he will give them the spirit to do so. The chief invited him to stay another six months. So he began 
again his preaching of the gospel and he taught the villages about the Holy Spirit and the works of the Holy Spirit as we live as Christians. Look what this chief said. He said, you can stay as long as you want. The chief announced, this is the part that moved my heart. Your religion is better than ours for your God walks with men and gives them the strength to do the things he requires. You see the difference in Christianity? The difference in Christianity is that God gives us the power to walk in his power. The problem is we often walk in our own sense, sense, our old self, our own understanding. There is a Holy Spirit to empower us that we can walk in. And we need to be thinking about that, not just our own ways and our own thoughts and our own plans and our own purposes, but allow the Spirit of the living God to speak afresh to our hearts and to our lives. This is the beauty. This is what needs to take place. Let's look at verse 17. He says, since you are called on the Father, since you call on the Father, this is a little kind of, he's done this before over and over again, saying you're calling on the Father. So since you're calling on the Father, you need to understand something. This next little part of the scripture is very powerful. Because he says, since you are called on a father who judges each man's work impartially. Now, I want you to get this because a lot of people have a lot of problem with this. First, let's look at the first one, judges. The father who judges. There is all of us are going to stand before God and be judged for our life. This is why you are exhorted to live a life worthy because one day what you do here, you're going to be judged for. And I don't know about you, but I want to make sure that, you know, things go good. <laughs> I guess you want things to go good. We will be judged. But thank God for the grace. Someone say, thank God for the grace. And thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ who washes away. You should get a little bit more excited when I say wash away because you understand when you are in sin and God washes away that sin, that should make your liver quiver. So we look at this portion here, a judge. 2 Timothy 4.1 says, In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead. He either will be your Lord and Savior or he will be your judge to eternal separation. Now, now God never, how should I say this without, God sends nobody to hell. People say, well, why did God, a God of love, send someone to hell? That's, that, that is the worst um, form of words together that is so inaccurate according to God's word. Because God does send no one to hell. God wish that none perish, but all have everlasting life. But because we make choices of whether we're going to accept the gift or not accept the gift. If I had a gift, a package right now, and in that package was a gift certificate for $200 to go to this very wonderful restaurant, and I gave it to you, but you didn't take the gift, and you went to the restaurant and had no money, you'd be doing dishes. <laughs> You see, if you don't take the gift, you don't get the product. You don't get the benefits. You don't get the blessing. And so because you refuse Jesus Christ, this is what causes people to be separated from God. 
So we got to look like God is a judge. But Psalms tells us, 89, 14, this is powerful. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Did you hear that? That the character of God is righteous and justice. That's the foundation of his throne. When people say that God has chosen one over another, there's reasons why that looks that way on the outside. I love Jacob and I hated Esau. You see, God saw the whole picture of the Edomites. God saw what they would become. They saw how hostile. They became two different people. But the blessing of God was with Jacob. And so because the blessing of God was on Jacob, God's favor was on Jacob, God's favor was not on Esau. So many people recognize that they say God is in, God's partial to this and partial. No, listen to me, listen. Psalms 89, 14, righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. You can't take the characteristics out of the holy righteous God if he's righteous and just. And that means all he does is right. He knows more than you do. Say that. He knows more than I do. John 5.22 says, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. So I want you to understand that God is impartial in a judgment, but he judges the works of an individual. An antichrist is someone against Christ. When we... Do something against God. We're not a friend of God if we're doing things against God. If we choose to run from God. If we choose. There's a lot of people today who hate God. They hate God. They just simply hate God. Why? Because they have experienced some type of pain in their life. Some terrible thing has taken place. Instead of recognizing that we have pain. We have hurt. We have problems in life. Because of sin, and it affects all humanity, because all humanity is broken. That's exactly why Jesus Christ came, to heal humanity. He, look at your neighbor and say, he wants to heal you. He judges each man's work impartially. Did you get that? He sees the heart of your work and the work of your heart. And he will judge that. In 1 Corinthians is a beautiful story of those whose works are tried by fire. And after the fire, they escape the fire, but everything is burnt up because their works and motives were not of heart, but of ritual, of duty. You see, when we do something, we must do it with the right heart of God. God will judge our works. As it says, who judges each man's work impartially. Listen to what Job said. Job 34, 19. Who shows no partiality to princes and does not favor the rich over the poor? For they are, watch this, they are all the work of his hands. Someone say all the work of his hands. Well, how many times you and I have seen, or maybe you've done this, you have put someone else higher just because they have a little bit more clout. You know, I've seen some people do some really crazy stuff just because they're popular. I've seen people scream. I've seen people shout. I've seen people do crazy things. And you probably have too. But what does God say here in Job? God shows no partiality to princes 
or does not favor the rich over the poor because he knows for they are all the workmen work of his hand. That means everybody has value. Someone say everybody has value. Because we're created in the image of God. But so many times people want to look at scripture, find a portion, not understand the portion, and then say, well, there's partiality to God. If that was true, it's because of the acts of their choices to choose to do wrong and evil versus righteous and justice. Acts 10, 34 is a beautiful portion here where it really fulfills uh, what Romans chapter 2 is talking about with this whole Esau and Jacob thing. Because now, here we have, in 10, Cornelius, an Italian Roman soldier, and he's a godly soldier, and he's caring for the poor, but he's really a Gentile, and yet he's following the law. He's loving God. And all of a sudden, God upsets Peter's theology. God takes him away from his dinner. (laughs) And he gets them to go to Cornelius, not really, because they stood overnight. But, but go ahead, and, and he goes over to Cornelius' house, and the power of the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius' family where they spoke in tongues, where the power of God showed up. And when Peter saw this, this is what he said in Acts 10, 34. Peter began to speak. Now I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men. Well, listen to this closely accepts men and women, every nation who fear him and do what is right. The partiality is God sees our works and he's saying to the people in great persecution, listen, this does not mean quit just because it's tough. It does not mean leave the kitchen because it's hot. I can't tell you how many times I saw someone leave the kitchen because it's hot. Do you know when you leave the kitchen, no more cooking takes place? When the cook leaves the kitchen, everybody else stops. Think about it. You see, don't ever quit when things get tough. Because it's those moments where you are challenged in the core of your being. It is then when you are challenged that raises up character within your heart and soul. And God will do the work. He sees. He'll judge He will take care of things. And he's encouraging them. Listen, don't quit. God sees your works. He's your judge. Focus on him. Let me read this portion of scripture here. Romans 2, 9 and 11. There will be trouble and distress for every man, every human being who does evil. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Verse 10. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. This is just a few to try to show people that God is fair across the board. It's unrighteous to say you this here and this here. However, however, that is God's predicament. God has that right. He's God. That's a hard time for people have a hard time with, but he's God. God can do what he wants to do. He's God. We Westerners don't like that idea. If it doesn't, if God don't do what I like him to do, 
that you know what? I don't want to hang with this God. I've heard this so many times. When God don't do what I want him to do, then you know what? He's not worth serving. You know what? You just missed the boat. You have just strained out a gnat and swallowed a camel. Because God knows more than we know. That's why we are to trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Oh, that's a good song. I'm going to write a song about that. Check out this last part. I was, this is the hard part that we need to look at. Because you've got to remember, they are in persecution. So he says to the Spirit of God, Since you call on the Father who judges each man's work impartially, watch this, live your life as strangers here in reverent fear. Live your life as a stranger here in reverent fear. This is powerful. And I started to think about this and all the aspects. And I said to myself, God... I said, how many of your people in Scripture were in strange lands? And I started to put a few things here. Because we want our life always to go great. And if it doesn't go great, we want somebody to blame. Have you ever seen this little thing? Say, I want to blame you. But then they say they have a few fingers pointing at you. huh? Go, just point your finger at someone. Just point them. Go, just point at somebody. Then, tell, then, then you tell them, don't point at me. <laughs> Listen to this, though. So live your life, lives as strangers here in reverent fear. How about Abraham? Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis. God tells them to leave Haran and to go to a place he doesn't know. And Abraham lived the rest of his life as a stranger in different lands. What did he have to do during those times? He had to trust God. So when you don't know what's going on, you have to trust God. When you don't understand, you have to trust God. When you're a little frustrated because it's not according to your plans, you have to trust God. God didn't even give him an address. You would think, God, okay, if you want me to leave, tell me what you would like me to do, and I will do it. Leave. Okay, I'm going to leave, but I would like to know a zip code. You know, okay, just drive down the road, not where I'm going. Just doesn't make sense. Just leave. We don't like that, do we? Man, we don't like that. We want God to give the zip code, the address, how many feet, how many miles, how many seconds, minutes is going to get, get you there. But God don't work that way. God wants obedience from us. God wants us to just walk. Just walk. Abraham was a stranger, and he served God with reverence. How about Joseph? He was sold, lived in Egypt against his will. I mean, think about Joseph. Did he have a bunch of, you know, small group people to keep him strong? No, once again, here he is in a foreign land. He had to endure the hardships until that one moment, that one moment, about 13 years later, God finally shows up and changes everything. And then he starts to see God's real plan. See, here's the problem. Listen to me. And I, I, I'm, I'm learning this and keep learning this. And I get almost excited as well as it's hard to learn. Is that even when you don't understand what God's doing in the moment, you have to live the moment to see the glory of the next moment. You see, we don't always understand what God's doing in the moment. And it's so hard to live the moment. Just like they're having a hard time living the moment. And that's what... The Spirit of God is doing through Peter as he writes this to them to encourage them, to help them remember, here's the problem. Here's the problem. We sometimes don't like the moment. And instead of learning from the moment, trusting in the moment, walking in the moment, we just want to complain in the moment. 
find fault in the moment. Just humdrum in the moment. And all that does is give you a miserable day and you don't get to your destiny. How about David? David, he is called to be the next king. You think there would be an easy transition of power? God picked him. I think God could have transitioned it a lot easier. The poor kid <laughs> is on the run. To the point where he finally is living in the with the Philistines. Does that make sense? At one point, joining the army. And yet you look at this. Live your lives as strange as here with reverent fear. When you're in a strange place, when it's hard. And you, you just, you feel like you're, you're falling apart. You, you have to trust him. You have to trust him. A couple more. How about Israel when they were in 40, over 40 years in slavery? How about Daniel when he was taken captive and had to live in, in Babylon and actually end up serving three kings in the process? How about the disciples? They're among their own people and yet were, were harshly treated. How about Jesus? He left heaven and had to come to this place to be abused. Came unto his own, but his own rejected him. He made the world. It was made by him, and they didn't even know him. I mean, think about the things that Jesus went through. He truly understands what it is to be a stranger. How about these believers in Asia Minor? This is, they're going through persecution. They're in strange lands. This is what it's written for. But how about you and I? Think about this. Do you feel like a stranger? Do you feel like you fit this world? It's a good question. Because if you really fit really well in this world and stuff, maybe there's a little bit more of you, and a lot more of the world than you. You know, there's a, a great quote that I wasn't going to use, but Dio Moody said it. Christians should live in the world, but not fill it up. Live in the world, but not be filled up with it. Then he compares it to a boat that a boat lives on water, but the water doesn't get in it. But if the water gets in the boat, the boat will sink. The same thing that will take place for you and I, we get too much world in us, we too will sink. And too little of God in us. It's one of those things that we have to realize that Philippians 3.20 tells us, but our citizenship is of heaven. This is not a home where we wait a savior. Sometimes we, we look at these problems of this world and they're going to come and the problems in our relationships and they're going to come and problems all around us and that's because there's a sin factor out there. But we have a God who bought us, sought us, loved us, gone to the extreme portion to, to get, bring us back to Him. And we, we, can, we can celebrate, we can encourage ourselves when things get rough. We don't always have to allow the enemy of our soul to bring us down. Look at verse 18, and I want to go to verse 18 and 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or def defect. Now, think of this, and this is where he's trying to encourage them to understand the depth of sacrifice. Depths of sacrifice. Uh, question. When you see a sacrifice, what's the greatest sacrifice someone has ever done for you? Can you think of it? 
What has someone did for you? A great sacrifice. You say, wow, I can't believe that did that. They, they sacrificed for me. They, they. Think of it. Think of something. Think of something that someone did something for you. How about if someone died for you? How, how would you feel? How would you feel if someone died for you? This is the beautiful thing that we're talking about here. Because here, for you know that it was not with perishable things that you, as silver and gold. Everybody loves silver and gold. So if I took the economy of this world and I put it in silver and gold, it still could not purchase you. Think of that. All of the economy of this world, all of the silver and gold could not purchase you. Because God says those things perish. And yet we have a world today that, boy, we want the silver, we want the gold, we want all the stuff, we want all the stuff. And then after you die, what happens to the stuff? Someone else has the stuff. And then someone else has the stuff. But one day the stuff is just going to go, it's going to break. Because people never treat the stuff like you treat the stuff. You can have this, uh, uh, I have, I, things are sentimental to me, and I know some of you are the same way. It, it may not have a lot of value or it could have value. I have a light right now. I have a light that's pretty valuable light. It's a very ugly light. It's just very, it has more value than pleasure. <laughs> but what happens if I died and someone got this light and then they didn't like it either? And then one day it fell off the thing and just broke. Which would be a feat if it broke. But it broke. You think they would cry? Do you think they would, if they didn't know the value of it, they would just say, it's no big deal. See, we think in our value system, we elevate things that we think are important, but we don't evaluate the things that are important. And the things that are important are the things that Christ has done for us. And this is what this is talking about. It's not, we have not been purchased by the value system of this world, which we would say so important is gold and silver. It's really important for you and I to recognize this. Look what it says. That you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. This is talking about the life of works, of the law, of the rituals. Look what Romans says. This is great. Romans says it beautiful. Now, here's therefore. That means everything that's just been said is kind of bunched into this portion of Scripture. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's talk for a second. No condemnation for those in Jesus. Have anybody feel guilty about something? And the devil wants to remind you of your past. Come on. Huh? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But then there's no condemnation when it's forgiven in Jesus Christ. You see the power of what Christ has done for us? That we can have a new day, a new relationship. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Someone say praise the Lord. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did not send. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the sinful man in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. This is a powerful portion of Scripture showing what Jesus was to do right from the very beginning. 
The law was pointing to something greater. That the law could not get us to God. The law covered our sins, but did not take away our sins. That's why the New Testament, the New Covenant, fulfills the Old Covenant. The old agreement that God made. That's why Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourself, it is a gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. This is the beauty. It was all about a ritual following the law and the Old Testament. And here, he simply says, God did not send... Uh, let's go back to the text here for a second. It says, redeemed from an empty way of life. An empty way of life? Yeah, because it came to a point that it didn't fulfill as Jesus Christ came to do. The last part here in verse 19. But with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. This is the part where I say, wow. Jesus Christ lived three and a half years on earth. He didn't sin, but he was tempted. He understands your temptation. He understands your struggles. He's been there, but yet he walked it. He did it. He identified with us. I don't know about you, but when you go through a problem, Jesus went through problems. If you've been rejected, Jesus was rejected. If you, whatever problem you've had, I'm going to guarantee Jesus can identify with you. So whenever you start feeling like, oh, I'm the only one, nobody knows the trouble I've seen, no one knows, I'm going to tell you, yeah, I know who knows, Jesus knows. He's been through it. And he's asking you now to grow through it. Look at this portion of scripture here when it talks about the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. Say it's all God. It's all God. Or how about this one? This is one that's really great too. 1 John 3.5. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. This is the beautifulness of the fulfillment of all that God has done for us spiritually. But sometimes we forget about it when we're under persecution, when we're under problems. That's why we really have to understand something. This is going to mess you up. This is probably going to mess you up right now. Did I just say this is going to mess you up? This is going to mess you up. In verse 20 it says, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Wait a minute. Let's think this through. He was chosen before the creation of the world. Your Jesus, your Savior, God in His sovereignty, His omnipotence, His omniscience, knows all things. And that He, Jesus, was chosen to be Savior before the creation of the world. Nothing escapes God. God knows. God knows the beginning. And God knows the end. If that's true, and it is, why do we have such a problem living life if we know that a God knows the beginning and the end? Why don't we trust Him? What is it, what is it, what is it that really stops us from trusting God in every area? Well, I trust Him over here, uh, Pastor. I have no problem. I trust Him there. Good. How about here? Yeah, I do too. I trust Him there. How about here? Ooh, I don't know if I trust Him here. 
He was chosen, Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world, meaning that God put everything into operation, knowing, knowing what would take place. Go outside your box, little static going on. Knowing that creating volitional people would actually rebel. Amazing, isn't it? And yet knew that a Savior would come. Everything from Genesis to Revelation is all fulfillment. Everything when God created was pointing to the Messiah, pointing to time, pointing to events in time. God thinks things through. It's amazing if you ever watch uh, a great, a great um, little documentary called The Bethlehem Star. Where this guy, they have computer programs now in astrology astronomy, got to get it right, <laughs> and um, they can track the stars and how it moves and stuff and how it, it just, and he said it best, he said, it's like God knew exactly what time, what event would take place because the stars all came together to be that one star, the king, and they had all different names and stuff, God knows all the names of the stars, how many of you know the names of your children and can do it backwards and forwards? I had a tough time with just four. Sometimes I throw a name in there just for fun. Hey, Bob, take out the trash. Who's Bob? Is it Bob, new, new kid on the block? He was chosen before the creation of the world. That means God knew all things in advance, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. God is revealing all this so you may know the God of all creation, the God who is worthy, is on your side, and He's big. Oh, I don't know what's happening over here in my life. Trust God. He's the God of all creation. He knows what's going on. Why are you fretting? Why are you fretting? Just allow Him to do what He needs to do, and don't carry it. Cast it. Come on, someone say, don't carry, cast when you don't cast these things you need to cast, you're going to carry. And I'm going to tell you, it's not fun to carry. It's not fun to carry all the frets and feel like the, the weight of the world is on my shoulders. I cannot pick up. No, Please. Your shoulders and I, my shoulders are very weak. God's shoulders are very big. Cast your cares on him for he cares for who? You. That's what God wants you to do. He's on your side. It's a beautiful thing for you to understand that he has revealed it to you so that you may know what God wants to do in you. Check out this portion of scripture. This is powerful. Someone say powerful. Go, just say it. Say it like you really mean it. Powerful. Well, that still was terrible. One more time. Powerful. That's a little better, a little better. But you're going to see how powerful this scripture is. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 15. When you were dead in your sins and in this uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the written code, which is regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I can almost do a jig that our God, while he was on the cross, made a public spectacle of these 
satanic realm, triumphant over them by the cross. A cross. A sacrifice. Two pieces of wood and three nails. He made a spectacle. A spectacle. Can't even say it right now. A spectacle of them. I want you to get this. This is incredible. He defeated them in such an embarrassing way. In a way that it was just defeating the powers and of authority. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So that means that you're a child of God and that you have authority over every demon that's out there. Now, do you live in that authority or not? If you believe it, you receive it and live in it, right? The problem is we have a gospel and then we have this belief system and then we have this like, well, I don't know if I actually apply that to my life. No, no, no. We have to be honest. That's what we're talking about, living with the power of God. The power of God wants to live in us, in us, by the Spirit of God. And if that's the case, I mean, Jesus defeated, disarmed, took all took all artillery away. He disarmed them. He no longer has any M16s and, and bazookas and, and flamethrowers. He took all of them, you know, because he's given us a shield of faith. Uh, get every doubt of the enemy. He's equipped us with the armor of God because he defeated the devil at the cross and rose again on the third day. That's what Jesus Christ has done. But we have to believe it, you see? We have to really say, you know what, God? I have a situation here, but you know what? I'm, I'm going to trust you anyhow. I, I don't know. I, I, I tend to think we need to just focus on the victorious message of the gospel and live in it. If you study theology long enough, you will see the Christus Victors, it is a definition that describes or ascribes the, the, ens- the essence of what Christ has done dealing with the atonement work or the element of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. It emphasizes the triumph of what Jesus Christ literally did as he took all power away from the enemy. Did you, did you get that? Took all power away from the enemy. That means the enemy has no power over you unless you yield yourself to it. You open yourself to it. You allow it to come into your life. It has no power over you. Because Christ is over every evil power of the world through which he has rescued his people and established a relationship which is deep and real and relevant. That's what God has done for you and I. Though you believe in God, who raised him from the dead, and glorify him so your faith and your hope are in God. I mean, did you see faith and hope? These things are huge. Faith and hope are like brothers and sisters. If you have lack of faith, you have little hope. You have great faith, you're going to have great hope. It's a beautiful thing. Let me give you this portion of scripture you probably have um, may have seen this throughout the year how many have seen this scripture once or twice throughout the year yeah I'll fit it in every moment I can we'll see who memorizes it at the end of the year but this is a powerful portion of scripture that you and I need to realize may the God of hope did you get that the God of hope how many want hope for something in your life right now come on 
You want this situation. You want, you have a God of hope. Someone say, praise the Lord. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with every hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is, this is a prayer. This is a prayer. Let me close with this portion of scripture that I think says a lot. It's found in the book of Romans. Let's read this. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also among with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Jesus Christ, who died more than that, who has raised from the life, raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Someone say praise the God. Thank you, Jesus. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for the sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. This is, this is promise. We have victory through the blood of Jesus Christ. And as we go into communion, I want you to understand that. Awaken your soul. Awaken your mind. Really take the word of God for what it really says. Act on it. Love your God and, and understand that he desires for you to draw closer to him every day. Every day. Every day. One little closer. One little closer. A little closer. A little closer. But it only comes. It only comes when you really understand the power of the blood. There's victory in the name of Jesus. And it's all on the cross. There was a story a missionary shared about a, a boy. He was out in the wilderness in the jungle and he was cutting down trees and grass with a machete. And while he did that, he had an accident and he cut off his heel of his foot. And so what the little boy did, instead of telling his mother, telling anybody, he heard about a little village many miles down the road that was a mission there and they had medical help. And so he just went there. And as he traveled miles, every time his wounded foot hit the sand, it would leave a mark. It would leave a mark of sand. He finally got to the hospital and he shared his story and he told the doctors that he told nobody he was there. But it wasn't long that his mother showed up. So the doctor was puzzled how the mother found out. So he pulled her aside and said, how did you find that your son was here? And you never traveled this way before? She says, no. But how did you get here? He said, she said, I just followed the blood. I just want you to let you know if you get into that word of God, saints. You get into the word of God and you start reading the scriptures and you start 
following the blood, you're going to find forgiveness and redemption that's found in Jesus Christ. The world out there needs to hear the message of redemption. The world out there needs to hear your testimony, your message of what Jesus Christ has done for you. But you have to come alive to know of the great power that Jesus Christ has done for you. You have to come alive with the power of the Holy Spirit to understand that God wants to do a work in you. He wants you to be a person to believe for miraculous works, to believe that you can see healings take place and salvations take place and the power of God to do something great in this time, such a time as this. You are the ones to go forth to the next generation. You are the called ones to do something, to stand up and to stand out and to make a, a presence known, and that's the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's up to you. Or you can just do nothing and just live life. Not imprinting the gospel of Jesus Christ on anybody. Just with, with someone the other day, was sharing the Lord with them. And it was a beautiful moment. It's a beautiful moment. I didn't remember them, but came across them one other time. But they remembered us. And as I started to talk with the person, the person has tears in the eyes as I shared the gospel message with them. Yeah, let me tell you something. The power of the blood is to be shared if you care. Because if you care, you share. Today we're going to do communion. But before I do, I want you to understand that if you're not living that victorious life, it's usually because you probably haven't spent the time with the victor himself. It's spending time daily with God. and He'll put a new song in your heart. He'll give you a new step, a new spring in your step. He'll give you clarity to your tomorrow and your strength for your today. He's that type of God that he goes the whole way. That's the God I'm talking about. One that never leaves you nor forsakes you. A God that although everybody walks out, he will walk in and pick you up and give you just what you need when you need it. Maybe you're here or maybe you're watching online and you've never been introduced to Jesus. You never yielded your heart to him. But he died on a cross and on the third day rose again, defeating the consequences of sin. You know, the Bible tells us in John, 1 John, and let me just read this to you. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write unto you, that you may not sin. But if any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not only ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Propitiation is the acceptance of an act that was done on the benefit of others. Jesus Christ is the propitiation of our sins. That one sacrifice that could forgive our sins. But not just ours, but everyone on the whole world. That's when he stretched out his arms and said, it's finished. So powerful. Will you accept them today? He loves you. He is the only answer in every situation. 
He's the only one that rose on the third day and he's calling you today. Will you accept him? Will you accept him? Will you bow your heads before the Lord? Maybe right there, wherever you are, in your living room, your bedroom, your car. Whatever room in the house you're in, or even the garage, I pray right now that you just bow your head and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. I believe you rose from the dead on the third day, and you died on that cross for me, and you defeated the sin problem of this world. Now I accept you, God. Lead me in your path of your righteousness so that I can become your child. I want that in my heart this day, God. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do you know every single angel in heaven rejoices, it says, when a, someone comes home. Maybe you could just clap for maybe someone who's coming home today. Amen. Give the Lord a big hand clap. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Can you stand to your feet? We're going to take communion. And before we do, let's just pray. Father, will you just now be with each one? Lord, be with each heart. As we yield our heart to you, may you strengthen and help us as we go your ways. Help us, Lord, to recognize the victory that comes in the name of Jesus Christ and the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Jesus Christ. And help us to live in that victory as we yield to your word, walk in your word. So may we do the works and do your will in all that we do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that you would just take this time of communion. I pray, Lord, that you would just help us to remember the victory that's in the blood. For without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And Father, we ask right now, if we take a moment, that if we have done something that we need to get our heart right with you, we take that moment. Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for the sacred moment that you're doing in hearts. Holy Spirit, have your way. Lord, Holy Spirit, touch bodies, touch minds, touch lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we thank you for joining us today. Let's continue to believe that God is going to do a work in all of our lives and in his church, despite our current circumstances. If you would like to support the ministry of Salem First Assembly, you can do so by mailing to 430 Route 45, Salem, New Jersey, 08079, or by visiting our website at salemfirstag.org. Please join us for service next Sunday at 1030 a.m., or you can watch service every Sunday afternoon on Facebook at Salem First Assembly or YouTube at Salem First AG. You can also listen to the message every Tuesday on Podbean. Have a blessed rest of your day. Let's remember to be a blessing and that life is living in faith every day.